Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. You're listening to Zeros on the Board podcast. My name is Kurt Hardy, and really excited to share my next venture of sports media with you. Some of you know, I worked through several different teams in the sports industry, tried my hand at sports writing, and now we're going to move over to podcasts. So again, very excited, and let's get it rolling. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Vivid Pixel Design, specializing in graphic design, photography, as well as web development. They'll be able to fulfill your design needs. You can get in contact with Maureen on our Facebook page by searching Vivid Pixel Design. If you're in the Milwaukee area next Friday, check out some great live music with The Rumskies. They're an alternative rock band with classic rock vibes. Play a great mix of original music along with covers you know and love. Check them out this Friday, August 19th, where they'll be performing at House of Guinness, Main Street, Waukesha. For more info, check out their Facebook page at The Rumskies. That's R-U-M-S-K-I-S, The Rumskies. And with that, I'd like to welcome Joe Bodecker. Jobo, welcome. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing well. How you been, well, man? I can't complain. Good, man. man. Been good so far. Excited to be here. I want to talk about A-Rod. I think it's something we need to talk about. Uh, it's true. I mean, A-Rod's going to be gone. Going to be gone. And so, when we're recording this, he still hasn't played his final game, but by the time... Everyone hears this, he'll be done. And as you know, the story goes, he's going to play on Friday, and that's his last game. He's done, he's retired, and the Yankees are going to bring him on as a quote-unquote special consultant. And how do you feel they just handled this situation overall? Well, I mean, is there really a right or wrong way to handle the situation? I mean, it's A-Rod. He's been around for how long now? He had that time back with the Rangers when... He supposedly took PEDs, but he said he didn't take PEDs, and then he took PEDs, and then the Yankees signed him to this huge contract. I mean, he was suspended for a year, and the Yankees are getting younger. I mean, that's their goal. They they finally realized that buying every guy that's over 30 isn't the best way to win baseball games. Good point. Why do they have to make this move now, though? Because he could still get the 700... And then you make this deal. Why not keep pushing them? Hey, just, we're only going to pinch hit you. You're going to bet two or three times a week. Just go for the fence, and we're going to sell tickets, and you know we may start you for a full week until you get to 700, and then you're done. Well, I mean, there's got to be some clubhouse animosity. I mean, you start at the top of the organization. Like we said, you know, they're going young now. I mean, they they went all in at the beginning of the year. You know, Chapman, Miller, I mean, that that combo in the bullpen, they traded away Chapman, they traded away Miller to just get huge prospects. I mean, why why hang it around when it's going to be inevitable that Yankee fans need to finally realize that the Yankees aren't going to be like the Yankees were in the 90s and the 2000s? They're going to be rebuilding, and... I personally think he's still going to get 700 home runs. I don't think he's going to stay with the Yankees. There's probably going to be a team that'll throw him veteran minimum money, small contract, because they'll sell tickets to Uh, hit home runs. Well, then how important is 700 to him? Because I think you you mentioned there might be some clubhouse animosity, and I think that's a good point too. But if his goal is really just say, I need to get that 700 mark, why not just screw over the Yankees roster and get it this season. 
Well, what's to say they were going to give him the opportunity? I mean, if he, let's say they presented him with this deal and they go, okay, you know, you, we're going to put you in a front office position. We, we don't want you here anymore. We're going to designate you for assignment otherwise. It, and if he gets designated for assignment, yeah, he could technically deny it and become a free agent. But does he want to go through all that at the middle of the year? I mean, he's at home. That's the big thing for him. He's home. He's in New York. I think just the weight off his shoulders of helping out the team this year by, okay, all right, I won't play for you. Put me in here. Pay me $27 million because who doesn't want to get paid that amount of money to probably do nothing? And I'll chase it next year. I think you brought up a good point to where I don't know if it's even the money or even the home runs, but even just the fact that he was sitting on the bench doing nothing. And I think that just hurts his ego more than anything else, where you would rather not be on a team than on a team and not playing. And from the Yankees' point of view, I think Girardi was sick of having to answer the question um, because he was really only coming in a pinch hit situations and especially just being the New York media was grilling him and really just trying to get him to say something stupid. Um, they were saying lines like, like, would your life be better if Alex Rodriguez wasn't a Yankee? And they're really just throwing really unfair pressing questions. And so I think he obviously handled them well and professionally, but I think there's the point where he knew he wasn't going to play him. He don't have to answer those questions anymore. You go to, go to management and say, we got to do something about this. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty valid point. I mean, you can even compare it to, you know, he's on the team. Like you said, you know, he's on the team, but he's not playing, and he has this ego that he wants to uphold. And you can kind of compare that, you know, and contrast it to another situation that's been happening, actually, in Chicago with the Cubs, where you have Tommy LaStella, who they just designated for assignment to the minors, And he's refusing to take it because he just wants to be on the Cubs. He doesn't want to play for another team. He would rather retire than play for a minor league team where it could only be a 12-week stay. I mean, that, you know, with A-Rod, it's always been ego. Personally, I think he's going to play next year. Where do you think he ends up next year? Well, um... It's going to have to be an American League team because he can't yeah, play the field. Absolutely. I mean, so you got to look at an American League team. I don't think it would be an American League contender because they're not going to want to waste a bench spot on somebody that's just going to come in to hit a home run, and that's his only goal. Uh, you could go to a team maybe like the Mariners. I mean, you used to play for the Mariners. Mariners are in this huge flux right now anyway where they're trying to win, but they can't, and they just don't. They don't know if they should try or if they should just sell. Could even be somebody, a team that's just going to retool, White Sox. I mean, the White Sox, they're in another state where, well, you got Chris Sale, but what else do you really have? Well, you have Todd Frazier. Those are your two pieces. I mean, Adam LaRoche quit earlier in the year because of all the White Sox stuff. They could use a DH. Uh, You know, I don't think it would be any team in the American League East. If it's not important, I, I, don't, I really don't see him coming back. I think he's done. Well, I, I mean, he could be, but it, it's all in his head. It's all his ego. I mean, you know, 700 is important in a sense of if you're a clean player, but is 700 important if you're not a clean player? 
So again, th- thanks for jumping on the podcast. Thank we're, you. We're gonna have to have you on again soon. How can um, the people out there find you? Well, I have a Twitter. It's Bodecker J. That's B O E D E C K E R J. I'm on there a good amount. Anybody got any questions? Throw them out, and I'll give you what I know. Definitely the subject matter expert when it comes to both Tim Tebow and Johnny Football. Joe Bet- Bodecker. Johnny Football's done, so yeah. <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Special thanks to our friends over at MKE Mixing and Mastering. Have you just started your own podcast and not happy with the results? Disappointed with the sound quality? MKE Mixing and Mastering specializes in next-level audio production for your podcast, band recording, or other audio needs. Check them out at mkemixing.com or get in contact through info at mkemixing.com. That's info at mkemixing.com. Here on the show today, bringing in Jeff Bruce. How are you doing, Kurt? Good. Real good, man. It's been a while. Yeah, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Going to be talking some sports like we always used to. So Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> we, go, we go way back. Oh, my gosh. So not only my start with the college days, when you run the paper and I was starting my first, really my first sports articles ever. Terrible, by the way. <laughs> but we, we saw worse. We did see worse. <laughs> but that's where I got my start, you know. And then I know you made a few appearances on the infamous Monday Madness radio uh, show. Of course. Trademark Shout pending. out to Kyle Wiggins. Kyle Wiggins, man. <laughs> Dude, that was a great show. I missed it. Was, show. It was pretty good. It's one of those not as good as this one. Of course. You know, we've evolved. Pokemon. Pokemon. (laughs) But yeah, let's just jump right into it, man. And what I want to start out with is Olympics going on, and you and I are big basketball guys. And so obviously we need to spend some time talking about some dream team. And I think one of the biggest stories even of this year is like in the past, you know, when we talk about like the original dream team, Jordan, Bird, Magic, you really had the best guys in the league coming together. And nowadays, you really don't have that. And it seems like the team this year is really more of second-tier NBA players. I mean, I think that's a little overstated. Um, you know, I know, I know that um, we had talked about this in the past. And the two names that jump out at you, of course, are, are Steph Curry and LeBron James, who are not there. But to me, it's not a bunch of B-tier players. I mean, you look at guys like Paul George, Kevin Durant, of course, uh, Draymond Green. You know, these are all, you know, all-NBA, all-star players. Um, you know, they're not a bunch of role players. It's, it's almost like, um, you know, the, the 2000 team wasn't all the best players in the league. And that's just what happens. I think it's a cycle where... Um, in 2008, obviously, all the best players played. And 2012, I think most of them did. And now, you know, there was the Zika virus thing. I don't know if that was anybody's reason, but... Talk us for a minute about the motivation for players like Carmelo Anthony, Boogie Cousins, Paul George, and really just the importance being your own player, being your own pro, and just the need to win significant games. Like, you have players that drag themselves on through, like non-significant games throughout the season like how important is it for someone like Carmelo to go out and win the Olympics well yeah I think I think you touched on you know the biggest motivating factor right there especially for Carmelo he wants to actually win a game and that hasn't been happening for him for about three four years now you know Paul George um to me Paul George is still a top five player in the NBA 
when you consider two-way player and his diversity of talents, I still think he's one of the top five, but Indiana's, you know, fallen off the wagon so much that we don't hear about him. And, uh, you know, Cousins, I, I put in the same boat as our Aunt Carmelo, where, mm-hmm. you know, he just wants to win. And, you know, maybe, um, you know, I've heard that Carmelo's been more of a leader on this team uh, this year, and I think that's something that's good for him um, because he's been questioned on things like maturity and being a good teammate in the past. And I think it's good to see him growing up and, and to see him kind of wanting to take on that uh, extra role. At what point does the U.S. petition Olympic Committee <laughs> to allow the U.S. to have multiple teams? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just a ridiculous idea. I don't, I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, that's like, you know, obviously uh, I'm about to talk about you know, diving, but it's like China dominates diving. Like should, so should every diver in the Olympics be only Chinese? Like, yes, <laughs> yes. Well then maybe they wouldn't show it on. Well, well maybe American it doesn't need to be Olympics. But. Maybe the NBA needs a foam or its own summer league. It's own. <laughs> NBA has a summer league. <laughs> well, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like it, it's like its own. I mean, all-star tournament. That's one of the things I wanted to touch on though, is that, you know, we, we talk about, you know, we mentioned that maybe some of these players on this current team, um, Harrison Barnes, are, you know, kind of B-level players who you wouldn't expect to be on Team USA. But if you have an entire team of those, either through more guys passing up on playing for, quote-unquote, the A-team, or if we had a JV team that we, for some reason, you know, got to send there, I don't think we would win. Yeah, I don't think we'd go one two with a B team there. I mean, we basically sent the B team to Athens in '04, and we got beat by Lithuania. By uh, God, what was that guy's name? Yasikavichus. Yasikavichus, and uh, you know, and and we got beat by Argentina. And you know, I I think that it's not that easy to just put twelve superstars together and get them to play. That's why Coach K was such an important part of of bringing USA basketball back to the top. I do feel this was one of the better years in terms of really focusing on team chemistry and more importantly, certain role players. I feel like in the past it, it was just, let's get the biggest name we can, stack a team, and we'll try to figure out defense, even though we're up 40 points. And, and I feel now there's a much more emphasis on certain like three-point specialists, mm-hmm. you know, perimeter defenders, and certain cases like that. Absolutely. I mean, Team USA, obviously we put up you know, 110, 120 points a game, but... Where we really excel compared to the rest of the world is in our defense. Um, I think so far in this Olympics, we've held you know our two opponents to like thirty three percent shooting or something like that, and forced an average of uh, twenty turnovers a game, something like that. It felt like it. Um, and you mentioned three point shooting. I mean, in 04, when we got beat, we had no three point shooting on that team. Um, I read somewhere today that at one point we missed fourteen threes in a row in a game in in 04 um and then in 08 against all odds there was a milwaukee buck on that team because they just desperately wanted to have someone who could come off the bench and hit a three if they needed to so they got michael red they brought him over to beijing it was the highlight of his career probably and uh i don't think he actually ended up playing like at all but that's the thing is is that's where you started to see that transformation and did you know addressing certain needs i almost wore my michael red jersey for this podcast, just so <laughs> against it. Uh, but you make a good point with three-point shooting. How has really just the Olympic game changed where I feel like 
when it used to be feed the ball down to the big man, the big bruisers down below the hoop. And there was always this challenge switching over to the Olympic Games because of the different key and the bigger paint. And now mm-hmm. I feel like with much more emphasis placed on three-point shooting, it's not such a big deal anymore. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think you can see that in the development of Team USA rosters over the last few Olympics. Because back in 04, you know, we had Tim Duncan on that team. And, uh, you know, he was probably the best player in the league at that time, maybe maybe behind Shaq still. Uh, that's debatable, of course. But um, by 08, you know, you started to see a transformation where we were going more to to stretch fours, and, uh, you know, I think we had Bosch on that team, and then, you know, a, a really big rock in the middle who wasn't necessarily offensively gifted, but, um, you know, Dwight Howard was on that team. And you see that again this year where, you know, we've got DeAndre Jordan there, and DeAndre Jordan is, you know, a, a one type of skill guy, but he does that one skill very well. And, and I think DeAndre Jordan actually is set up for success at the international level um, because of the emphasis on, on the perimeter game and everything. He doesn't have to do anything offensively. It's like the, what the Clippers wish <laughs> the, you know, they could do. But uh, even going back to 2012, I mean, um, the bigs on Team USA were Tyson Chandler, Kevin Love, and, and Anthony Davis. I mean, those are two pretty non-traditional power forwards, and then Tyson Chandler is just a defensive specialist in the middle. So I think you definitely have seen Team USA adjust to that part of the international game where it's not about posting somebody up anymore. Do you expect any change with Popovich coming in and Coach K leaving? That's an interesting question that I thought I had a pretty, uh, I thought I was decided on until I read something earlier today um, because I thought, you know, yeah, Popovich, she's an incredible coach obviously he's going to command the respect of any nba player who comes in there um and he's all about team basketball and everything but that's you know it's at least the uh being well respected uh at the time really reminds me of larry brown in 04 and i'm going to keep going back to athens in 04 because obviously that's you know the only time we haven't won the gold medal but you know larry brown was a respected coach at that time and at least from what I've read, he he really didn't do a very good job of getting that team to play together. Um, now, maybe it was unfair to him because he had to deal with Stefan Marbury. And I don't know if anyone could deal with Stefan Marbury. But, um, you know, he, he was preaching that same type of thing where he was saying, you know, I know you're all superstars, but we need to play this team game. And and Popovich, you know, he does the same thing. And, and I think Popovich will be better at it, of course. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect much of a regression, but, you know, I, I would have said definitely he'll be fine two hours ago, and now I'll say 98% he'll be fine. Well, that's an interesting point, too, because obviously Pop's one of the best coaches in the game, but also look at the foundation he's built, and I really feel he's gotten that Spurs team to a position where a lot of times on timeouts, he doesn't even say anything. He just looks over at Parker and Duncan and says, hey, mm-hmm. figure out what you guys are going to do. Absolutely. And how do you think that matches up when you know you have guys who have been on the team, know the system, know what's expected of them, moving to a team that is just coming into it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I do think that would be maybe the the primary, if not the only concern, is that you know Popovich has had such a stable environment for 15 years now. And he's going to get thrust into this uh, volatile environment. But, I mean, it's Greg Popovich. Like, I, I would be, uh, sounds blasphemous to doubt that guy's coaching <laughs> ability in any situation. Exactly. You can't, you can't bet against Pop. Yeah. You can't do it. <laughs> and then my, my last question for you, 
Kobe Bryant <laughs> obviously went out on top of Lakers in his own last game as best you can with that team. <laughs> I'm a little surprised he didn't try to make a run at the Olympics. You know, I think that Kobe, when he published that letter back in December, I think it was, I think he was done when he published that letter, honestly. I think he wanted to play out the season for the respect of the game and, and you know, to, to not uh, rob the Lakers of some money and things, which arguably you could say he did with that contract anyways. But um, I think he was just mentally and physically burned out. You know, if you watched him this last season, it was not Kobe Bryant. You know, the the real Kobe Bryant back in like 08, 09, he would have hated all that farewell tour crap. He would have hated that people were giving him standing ovations when the Lakers were down 30. He would have hated that his teammates were placating him and, and you know, patronizing him and passing him the ball when, you know, he wasn't going to score <laughs> like he would have seven years ago. He would have hated that. And and that's really the biggest sign to me that, that he was done. And for him to have tried to make a run at the Olympics just seems ridiculous because he's not one of the 12 best players in the league. Or if you take out LeBron and Seth, he's not one of the best 14 players in the league. He's probably not a top 30 player in the league anymore, even on a good night. So, And I think that also his Olympic dreams and desires were fulfilled um, in 2012 and, and probably mostly in 2008 because he really was the heart and soul of that team in 08. Um, he made so many big plays for them that olympic games that i really think that sated that thirst mm-hmm. and that's a good point too i think we see a lot of these players sit out later on in their careers when they already have that gold medal when they've already achieved that success but i think it is important to note that if he was really upset with how it was going to end and it kind of like what we talked about with carmelo if he really needed to go out on top and have that last success and hey throw some extra motivation when we play Lithuania in the second round, we'll let you take all the shots. You can take every <laughs> single shot, score 100 points in an Olympic game, and go I from mean, there. That's, 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 that's not a bad point. point. No, yeah. I, I understand that. But, I mean, for Kobe, that means that doesn't just mean playing the Olympics. That means, you know, another two, three months of practice every day to get to the Olympics. Maybe if the Olympics were played the day after that game against the Jazz back in April... Uh, maybe he he tries to come. I, like I said, I'm not even sure he would have made the roster. But um, yeah, I just think I just think mentally he was checked out. Either way, we can talk Tim Duncan in four years <laughs> and talk about that comeback tour. But either way, just wanted to um, thanks for coming on the show, Jeff. Yeah, you know, really thank appreciate you for it. having me. Uh, where can people reach you at? Uh, well, uh, Twitter handle is Jeff Bruce now. Uh, Jeff spelled G off G E O F F the weird way. All right, sounds Thanks good. Thanks for having me on, though. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Kurt. Well, that's our show, everyone. Thanks again for listening in. Special thanks go out once again to our friends at Vivid Pixel Design, MKA Mixing and Mastering, as well as the Rumskis. Again, you can check them out Friday, August nineteenth. Tune into our Facebook page for updates on our next release, and we will catch you all soon.